Uh, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. And while you're turning there, and I'm getting these things settled, uh, I want to say, I want to uh, introduce myself again and say a quick thank you. Um, again, I'm the RUF campus minister, and RUF is Reformed University Fellowship, if you're not familiar with it. It is the uh, official campus ministry of our denomination. Uh, so RUF at Baylor is your college campus ministry. Uh, we are, uh, you, we as an institution send someone, send me and Olivia and Graham to campus uh, to minister to students. And you are, as in Redeemer Presbyterian Church, you are the number one supporter financially of RUF Baylor. And so I want to say thank you. Every time I get to be up here, I want to take that opportunity because I am incredibly grateful that you support us the way that you do. As an institution and so many of you individually that give, that pray for us, that encourage us. Uh, so thank you so much. Um, as obviously weird of a year as it has been, uh, we had, God was very kind to us, and we had a wonderful year on campus. Uh, a lot of it was on Zoom and virtual and, and that sort of stuff, but the vast majority of the spring was in person, and we saw God do just incredible things. Uh, there was a lot of energy. We had a great freshman class. Uh, God at work in people's hearts, and it is, it's just an encouraging time uh, to be involved with RUF Baylor. So just want to pass that along and just, and just say thank you. All right, so we are going to be looking this morning at uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. So if I could get you to stand while we read that. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. This is the word of the Lord. Be you can be seated. And I'm going to pray for us one more time. Father, we do want to stop now and ask your blessing on your word, that you would be at work to cause us to hear your word. Father, we need you to, to operate for that to happen so that we can hear you, so that we can believe it and trust you. But you love to do that. Your word says that it goes out and it will accomplish its purposes. So, Father, in that, in that wonderful reality, we rest and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, recently I've been thinking a fair amount about uh, this particular phrase, and I think that's because it's, as parents over the last, whatever, thir almost 13 years, this is a phrase that's on our lips a lot. If you're parents, it's probably on your lips a lot. And it's the phrase, it's going to be okay. 
Again, you probably say it a lot at your house if you have kids, especially younger kids, and, and we certainly do too. Uh, we say it fairly often when uh, it seems like someone is going to die and they've, they've skinned a knee, and we say, it's, it's going to be okay. When something gets taken from another person in the family and it sounds like you know, World War III, you come in there and you figure out what's going on. And you say, hey, it's, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. When something goes wrong at school and there's hurt feelings or whatever it might be, we say very often, it's, it's going to be okay. And as, I think, as I've been thinking about that phrase, uh, it, it, it dawned on me that there's a very real sense in which we all want to hear that. We all want someone at, at, at least at various points in our life to look at us and to tell us, and it not just be a hollow saying, of course, but for them to mean it, for us to believe that it's true, that whatever we're experiencing, it's going to be okay. We want to believe that. And I'm here to tell you this morning that I think that's basically what Paul is saying to these Christians uh, in, in Thessalonica, at the end of this letter, in our, in our passage this morning, and it's what he's saying to us this morning. He's telling these Christians and us, it's going to be okay. It really is. Uh, it seems that, uh, the, that these believers in Thessalonica were worried about a, a number of things. And as you read through the letter... Uh, you would, you would, if you had read through the letter, you would know what they are. Uh, it seems that they, were, uh, that they were worried about the persecution that they were facing. And Paul writes to say, it's going to be okay. It seems that they were worried about their uh, friends and loved ones that had already died and what had become of them. It seems that they were worried about Jesus coming back. It seems that they were worried, had he already come back and had we missed it? And it seems that some of them were worried, when he does come back, will, will we be able to withstand his judgment? And so for those things and a handful of others, Paul writes and instructs them about them. And then at the end of his letter, which is where we are, he gives them this benediction. Benediction which literally means a good word. And I would sum it up to say that he very simply says, it's going to be okay. And so that's what he has for us this morning. That if you're a believer in Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at three things about that this morning very quickly. First, I want you to see that believers will get better. Secondly, we're going to see that believers will make it to the end. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see that God is the one that will do it. So first, believers will get better. Uh, look at verse 23. Paul uh, looks at these people and he tells them that the God of peace himself will sanctify you completely. Now we need to take a minute and ask and answer the question, so what does sanctify mean? It may not be a word that we use a whole lot. Uh, sanctify, it's the same the same root word of the word that we would translate holy or holiness, sanctify. It means essentially to 
to set apart something that's different, set apart from the others. And the idea is that God will take the people that he has saved and he will necessarily grow them and make them holy. You see, the Bible talks about salvation. It talks about that, he's, that God saves people really in, in three tenses. In some places, it talks about how that God has saved us in the past. In some places, it talks about how God is saving us in the present. And in some places, it talks about how God, sa- how God will save us in the future. And so in that first sense, when it talks about how God has saved us, it's typically uh, referring to what we call justification. So justification, we're, we're going to get just a little bit uh, theological and nerdy here for just a second. So justification is the idea that it's the reality that God, when he saves someone, he makes a declaration about us. That he declares us to be perfect. And that what he does in that, in that moment, it's this one-time act, he takes Jesus' righteousness and he credits it to us. And he takes our sin and he credits it to Jesus. He justifies us. He, he makes us right. And it's like a declaration. He says, I declare you to be perfect. Uh, you can think about it. This is my most oft-used illustration. Uh, when I do a wedding, and at the very end, I will make a declaration, just like I did with David and Alex right there, what, two years ago. Make a declaration, and I say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. I'm pronouncing that two have become one. It's just something that's now true about you. All right, so that's justification. And in our passage, uh, Paul is telling them that God is going to sanctify, sanctify us. Sanctification is the, the biblical reality that God is in the process of saving us. In other words, it, the Bible tells us that God makes a declaration about us. He says, I declare you to be perfect. And now I'm going to start this process of making you perfect of working inside of you and changing your heart. So back to the marriage illustration. When I say, I declare you to be married, uh, two have become one. It's absolutely true about them. They are married. They are just as married in their, uh, you know, five seconds of marriage or their two years of marriage. They're exactly the same married as Amy and I. Been married for 20 years. Or some of you that have been married for 40 or 50 years. The two have become one. It's just the same. But there's a real sense in which how, how good are they at two becoming one? Well, about five seconds worth or two years worth. But what are they going to do? They're going to go and they're going to be growing into that reality, right? That's the picture of sanctification. That God is going to be at work in us. And change us. That he's going to make us holy. He's going to make us better. That he's, going to cha- that he's going to be at work changing our hearts. So that we love him more and more. So that we're able more and more to put sin to death. 
Calvin called it the entire renovation of the man, of mankind. The entire renovation. The God, is, God begins to renovate us on the inside. And look, I think in, in Waco, of all places, right? if anybody can understand the concept and appreciate the concept of renovation, it's us, right? Unless you've been trying to buy a house, you may not appreciate what the renovation's done to your property value, but if you own a home or trying to sell one, you're excited about it. But we've got fixer-upper, right? And I don't have to tell you, I don't have to give you the picture, just by saying it, you know, you know the deal. That they take some house that's not so great. It's got problems. It doesn't work right. It doesn't look right. And they begin to renovate it. Inside and out, they begin to change things and make them better and make them beautiful. And it all culminates in this reveal where you can hardly recognize it. And I want you to hear the good news this morning that that is what God is doing inside of you. That if you are a believer, if your faith is in Christ, then that is necessarily happening in you. God is working to change you. And I think that's good news that if you're like me, sometimes you can, certainly, you can get discouraged about whether or not God is working in you. When you, when you see that you keep doing that same dumb thing that you swear you're not going to do anymore. When you talk to the people that you love the most, the harshest. When you find yourself not loving the people that you say you love. When you find yourself being so radically insecure and you've rehearsed to yourself over and over why you shouldn't. When you find yourself in worship and your heart is just sort of there and you know it shouldn't be. And you can get discouraged. Maybe begin to wonder, I don't know if God's doing anything. I want you to hear the good news and be encouraged. God is at work in you. He is renovating you. He is making you better. It is happening. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 4, 16. And it, it, it tracks with what we're saying. I want you to listen to this. Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, though, though my body is getting older and I feel that, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, every day. That despite what it might feel like, God is at work to grow us and to make us better. And now look, let me just say a couple things as we finish this, this point up. First, we have to keep in mind, it may not look like what we think it will look like or what we want it to look like, which is the situation that we've just realized, right? That when we get discouraged, and yet God is at work, it may not look like what we want it to. God may not defeat that, that one sin in us that we want him to take away. He very well might. He might give us great victory in it. And he might not. But that doesn't mean that God's still not at work in us. 
It might not look external. Our behavior may not necessarily look different the way we want it to. But God's at work. The second thing we need to remember about this is that it's a process that will never be finished this side of heaven. It's never complete. It's continual, and we won't get there until until we pass on or, or until Jesus comes back. But I think that leads us pretty nicely into our, our second point. The second thing I want you to see is that believers will make it to the end. Believers will make it to the end. Look at the uh, second half of verse 23. It says, And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, one of the, the big things that Paul tells these Christians here is that Jesus is going to come back, that they haven't missed it. And, and the implication is that when Jesus comes back to earth, it's going to be, on the one hand, the greatest of days for those that believe in him. It's going to be wonderful. And it's going to be the darkest of days, frankly, for those that don't. Because, God, because Jesus is going to bring justice and judgment. That when Jesus, when Jesus does come back, he's going, to, he's going to put things back to right. He's going to right all the wrongs. So that means that for those that are outside of Christ that don't believe, there, there's going to be there's going to be destruction and judgment. And they seem to have a lot of questions concerning the details of Jesus' return. And, and it seems like some of them were worried, will we be able to escape his judgment? Because he's going to show up like that, or are we going to be okay? And Paul is telling them the good news. Yes. He's looking at them and saying, look, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it to the end. You will get there. If you trust him, then you have nothing to worry about because you're going to make it to the end. He's showing them what that's going to look like. I have a good friend of mine uh, that uh, told me, and this was uh, several years ago, about how his daughter... His daughter basically was a natural-born worrier. And she worried about everything. Uh, I'll give you a small example. that As soon as she grasped the concept that cars run on gasoline, gasoline uh, cars need gas, no gas, car won't run, she drove her parents crazy. Do we have enough gas now? How about now? Now? Now do we have enough gas? Now? How about now? Do we need to stop now? They just had to teach her how to read the gas gauge. When she was like, I can't, four or five, something like that. They're like, look, stop asking. You can just look and you can tell. If the light's not on, we're good. Just leave us alone. She's a worrier. Bless her heart. So I want you to imagine the scene when, when she sits down to watch Wizard of Oz for the first time. As soon as she realizes the tension that this is a little girl who can't get back home, done. <laughs> What's going to happen? Is she going to be all right? Is she going to get there? How's she? So I want you to imagine my, <laughs> brilliant, my friend, fast forwarding to the end. <laughs> look, look, she gets home, okay? She gets home. She makes it, okay? So look, stop worrying. 
enjoy the ride, right? <laughs> That's a little bit like what Paul is doing for, for these Christians and for us. He's fast-forwarding to the end. And he's saying, look, you're going to make it. I know you're worried. You're going to make it. This ends well. So you, it's going to be okay. You can relax a little bit. And look, we need to hear that. If you find yourself worrying, uh, maybe you feel like you're hanging on to Christianity by, by a thread. And you find yourself just basically worrying, I, I, I don't know that I'm going to make it. I want you to hear the good news. That God looks at you and he says, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it. Just keep clinging to Jesus and you're going to make it. And I think maybe, maybe even especially now, summer is such a, in some ways, such a weird time. It's such a time of transition. Now might be a unique time of, of worrying. You know, you might have just graduated or just finished a, a very uh, significant phase of life and you're, you're moving on and, and you're leaving a, a community. You're leaving the people that have kept you together, maybe. And you're wondering, I, I'm moving to this new city. I'm doing this new thing. I'm taking this new job and I'm stepping out into the world. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Or maybe you're here now and you're starting that new thing. Or if it's just now I've got, I've got this new reality. I've got the kids at home and things are way different. Or whatever it is, am I going to make it? And I want you to see that, that God is saying, yes, you're going to make it. And look, that means... That means that you will make it to see yourself completely renovated. That there is coming a day that will last forever where, where you will never feel insecure again. You're going to make it. There's coming a day and it will last forever if you're a follower of Christ, where you will, never, you will never feel anxious again. It's coming. You're going to make it. There's coming a day where you will never feel the, the dysfunction of, of, the, of a relationship again. The awkwardness of a relationship again. There's coming a day where you won't ever feel lonely or afraid you're going to make it to that day where you're not going to feel the pain in your body anymore. Where your body will work like it's supposed to. You're going to make it to that day. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay. And that's good news. And so the last thing that I want you to see, thirdly and finally, 
want you to see the good news that God is the one that will do it. God's the one that's going to do it. Now, you might be thinking that, that that sounds great and everything, but how can I know? How can I know that I'm going to make it? Maybe you really do feel like you're hanging on to Jesus and Christianity by a thread. How can I know that I won't let go? How can I know I'm going to get there? And that's a great question. And the answer is in verse 24. And this is one of those, and look, I don't want to undermine your your faith in the scripture by saying this. This is one of those verses, it's one of my favorites, because it's just so plain. You don't need a you you don't need a footnote, you don't need a, a you know Bible study help, you don't need a pastor to tell you like all right what you need to know about this. It just says it, and again that's not to say like the rest of the Bible doesn't just say it, but this is one that that I think you can see. It's just verse twenty four says, "He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it." That's one you can just pull out and you just read it and you're just encouraged. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The reason that you can know that this really is good news, that you're going to grow, that you're going to make it to the end, the reason you can know that is because it's not based on your work. It's not based on how tightly you're hanging on to Jesus. It's not based on how good you do at at starting the good things and stopping the bad things. It's based on the good news that God has been, is, and will be at work. It's based on the strength of His work in Christ and not ours. Uh, we could say it this way, that it's not the strength of our faith that saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. We're going to make it in, to the end. And you can know you're going to make it to the end if you're a believer. Because it, it's not how strongly you're hanging on to him. It's that he's hanging on to you. A friend of mine, I heard a friend of mine telling a story about, about uh, his his deer hunting as he was growing up and said from, you know, when he was just, you know, just old enough to be able to go out with dad, uh, that when they would get into the deer stand, you know, deer stands way up high, especially if you're a little guy, right? It's way up there. And he said, uh, he said his dad would climb up first. Well, he said he would, he would, uh, he would strap him in, tie him up, and then, then dad would climb up first. And then dad would pull him up. He'd, he'd say, hang on tight. And he'd pull him up. And he said, man, I can, I can just remember just hanging on for dear life. Just white knuckling that rope. Don't want to fall. He said, I made it to the top every time. And th- this illustration doesn't have like some sad or like super powerful ending. I just think it's beautiful because it's this father-son moment. So like don't wait for this like huge punchline. 
I'm just a crier. That's just all this is. Um, he said, but then I became a dad. And I started doing the same thing. And he said, it hit me. <clears throat> Man, I'm awful at this. <laughs> You're going to see, like, that story wasn't even sad or that sweet. <laughs> he said, it dawned on me one day, thinking back as I rigged up my son. Oh. <laughs> it didn't matter. Didn't matter how tight I held on to it. And it's kind of funny. He was an adult. He was, you know, 35 years old before he even realized that. It wasn't how tight I held on. There's no way my dad was going to let me go. There's no way my dad said, like, okay, hey, hold this real tight. Good luck. Gosh, your mom's going to be mad if you let go and break something. No. My dad made sure. It's because he was strong. He said, when I tie my son in, I make sure he's not going anywhere. Now my nose is going to run the rest of the morning. <laughs> Look, that's a great picture of what we're talking about. It's exactly what our passage is telling us. It's what Jesus himself tells us. Listen to John 10. John 10, 27 through 30. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my hand, out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Look, it's the good news. Now I'm everywhere. I made the mistake one time. There is, yes, there is. That's wonderful. All right, most awkward moment in Redeemer history, probably. <laughs> but not as awkward as the one time that I knew I was going to do that. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to take some Kleenex, and I'm just going to blow my nose, right? I thought, like, everybody will appreciate it. It'll be quick and done. No, 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 no. It was awful. All right, so back to what we're doing. All right, I have no idea what's going on. Jesus says the same thing, right? then nobody can snatch you out of the Father's hand because you're in the Father's hand. It's the good news that we're, that, that we're going to make it to the end because of God's strength and His work and not ours. Yes, of course, it involves our faith and our working. Of course, God calls us to, to exercise our efforts to fight against sin and to, to cling to Him in faith. But the good news is that ultimately it's up to him. And that actually means that we're, because it's his work, we're freed up to try and to fail. We're freed up to know that we're, we're not going anywhere. And we can know that. How, how can you know that God is faithful? You can know that he's faithful because of the covenant. Because God has shown himself faithful throughout history. You can look back at Genesis 15. God made a promise to Abraham. And he basically looked at Abraham and said, Look, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. I'm going to use you to save the world. And I'm going to love you forever, you and your people. And you're going to keep we're going to keep covenant. You're going to love me and be faithful to me. 
And then he, then he goes through this weird uh, covenant-making ceremony. You can go back and read about it sometime. But he basically enacts this, this, um, this ceremony, this living picture to show Abraham, look, we're going to make an agreement. I've got my end and you've got your end. And if either one of us breaks this agreement, I'll pay the price. The penalty is death. If you break your end or if I break my end. And if that happens, either one of us, I'll die. And then you fast forward, right, in, in redemptive history. It, that's what's happening on the cross. Abraham and everyone after him that has followed God, we've broken our end of the covenant. And God has said, I am faithful to my promise. I will pay. I will pay what you owe. So you can trust it. You can know that you're going to make it. And let me end with this final thought. We've been saying all morning that this is for those that believe in Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, if your faith is in Jesus, what if, you, what if you're not? What if you don't? What if you're here this morning and, and you're not a believer? Um, but maybe you're thinking, all right, this sounds, this sounds good. I like that. I want to know that, I, I, that I'll be okay. So what about me? Well, if you're not a believer, and also maybe you're thinking, you know, I heard the part that you said about when Jesus comes back and judgment and, you know, destruction and that sort of stuff, and that doesn't sound good. I want you to hear good news this morning from this passage. There's great news for you. It's really the same, it's the same good news for us as believers. But if you're not a believer, I want you to look at uh, verse 23, the very beginning. It says, the God of peace. The God of peace. What peace is he talking about? He's talking about the peace that God himself accomplished between him and us. Because all of us, every person in this room and every person that's ever lived except for Jesus Christ, has come into this world and basically said, God, you are my enemy. And I don't want anything to do with you. And declared war, essentially. And yet God has made peace through the blood of his son, Jesus. And so he offers that to you this morning. And it's free to take. And you can know it's free for the exact same reason that we just talked about. Because he shed his blood in your place. He gave himself. And if that's true of you, if you want that to be true of you, if that's true of you this morning, then you can know the good news that you are going to get better and you're going to make it to the end. And that's all because God is hanging on to you. And he is not going to let you go. And that is really good news. Let me pray for us.